0: Pray right now, Lord, there's many things that could distract us, could divide us, could discourage us in our own flesh or even just from the enemy. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that we would get focused in on what you would have for us in this moment. I pray in a powerful, divine, and simple way that you would speak to us, that we would walk out with a unity and an excitement, God, what you have in store for us. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Does your church feel like home to you? Does church feel like home? It's a question I wanted you to consider today. When you hear the word church, when you think of worship, when you think of the body of Christ, does that feel like a place where you are welcome? Does that feel like a place where you see others as welcome? For many of us, perhaps when we hear that, we think of this thing called an imposter syndrome, where maybe you're watching online or you're here in the room and you wonder, do I really belong here? Am I really good enough? Do people really accept me into this faith community? Or do they really belong here? What are, how, how could they be here? I, I, I know about their lives, or I've seen this, or, or, or maybe just the way that they look, or the way that they talk, or the way that they dress. There's this question. Of, of who is welcome. And the reason why I asked this question, does church feel like home? I think that's important. We talk about the family of God and, 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 and the home, not the house, the home. Does church feel like home? I'd like you to think it, think about that. In this passage that we're looking at today, Paul is writing in the book of Romans to the early church. See, at that time there were these tensions and there was this same question about who was welcome. You see, in the people of God they were the Jewish heritage and then in the new kingdom it was being invited into all who believe in Jesus are welcomed now into this faith. And so you have these Jews and these Gentiles who never worshiped together before all of a sudden starting to worship together. And that sounds all fine and good, but oftentimes when you start bringing people together from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ideologies, it gets a little messy. Amen? And we see in in the, in the book of Romans, if you go back and you read in chapter 14, there were some cultural issues about diet, about what you eat. And Paul is writing to the church and it seems to me he's, he's, he's writing to them about this struggle, about these questions. He's writing to the person who wonders, do I really belong? He's writing to the person who wonders, is it really worth it to worship together with those people? And it seems to me as we read this, he opens up with an exhortation, with an imperative, and then. Exhortation is this saying to the people of God, open up. Open wide your arms, church. Open up. In this text here, I'm gonna be focusing on verse seven, and 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 then we'll we'll get after some of the other context here. But here, I want to just look at these words from verse 7. I think they're incredibly important. We've been talking about the gospel. That Jesus changes everything, that we believe, as we talked about last week on Easter, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. Jesus changes everything, everyone, everywhere. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at implications. If we truly believe that Jesus changes everything, what does that mean for us? And today, we're going to talk about what that means for the family of God and how we think about each other. Notice here in verse seven, Paul says therefore, another therefore text. Seems to me he's saying because of the gospel, because as he's writing to the church, Jesus changes everything. First circle this or underline this or think about these two words. It says welcome one another, welcome one another. This word for welcome is a Greek word called proslambano. What it means is, it means to receive. It's not just saying, church, you need to have a killer greeting ministry. Which, by the way, we have here. You need to make sure that every person that ever comes to your facilities, that ever always gets their hand shook. Always gets welcomed. It's more than that. The Greek word here is a word that is related to uh, receiving each other. It's a familial word. I would equate it to, if you've ever been to a wedding, I always think of the father of the bride speech. And the father of the bride is talking to his new son-in-law. And he speaks to his son-in-law as his son. And he speaks to his family as the son's family, as his own family, there is this joining together of family. This word, welcome, means this. We see examples of this word in, in oftentimes if you're wondering how does this word work, you can look and do a word study of other places it's used in the Bible. For example, in Acts 28, the disciples are in a bit of a bind and it says this. It says, the native people showed us Unusual kindness for they kindled a fire, and there's that word they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold they were There was this moment of desperation and the, and, and they were welcomed in that moment they were there was this hospitality that was given. We see this also in Philemon verses chapter one verse seventeen. Paul was writing to a guy named Onesimus about a slave that he had. And Paul has these radical words. You see, he was a runaway or a runaway slave. And Paul is telling Onesimus to receive this slave back into his community as a free man because of the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus does. He changes everything. He breaks down barriers. And Paul says this to Onesimus. He says, if you consider me your partner, Receive, that word receive is the same word was welcome. Receive me, receive him as you would receive me. Welcome him. This high call of welcome. In the, Septu- in the uh, Greek text, in Psalm 27 verse 10, we see the same word for welcome used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It says, for my mother and my father, have forsaken me, but the Lord does what? He takes me in. So in Romans, when we see Paul exhorting the church to welcome one another, this is not simply a fist bump. This is not simply a empty, hey, how are you doing, I'm fine. It's deeper for the church. Commentator Kenneth West says this word proslambano is to take to one's self, to grant one access to one's heart. Earlier, Doug prayed this prayer of this struggle of faking it till you make it. Seems to be that Paul is calling the people of God to open up, to as you welcome one another, to let each other into your life a radical kingdom call. I also think it's important that we recognize he says, welcome one another. He's writing to all people. You see, in the context, he's, he's, if you look back, he, he writes to the strong and the weak brother. But he doesn't just say, hey, the strong need to welcome the weak. He also says, the weak need to welcome the strong. He doesn't just say the rich need to welcome the poor. He says the poor need to welcome the rich. You can say that about ethnic barriers. You can say that about language barriers. And oftentimes we read this and we think this is a one-way call just to say you folks welcome you folks. And he's just telling us all as we come together to remove the prejudice and just to say I'm welcome here and I'm gonna welcome these people who are different than me. I can tell you as a pastor of a multi-generational church, multi-ethnic church, this can be challenging. There can be prejudices and ideas about places like this where we just think, I'm not one of them. I don't talk like them, I don't walk like them, I don't work like them, whatever that may be. And that is not a welcoming attitude. No, we are, and the same goes both ways. Here he's telling, because Jesus changes everything, receive one another. Be willing to be in community with people that are different than you. We are all on the same playing field. There is a, a level field at the foot of the cross, amen? And so we see this imperative to the church that says, open up. But how? Or maybe you say, how far should I open up, Logan? I get it, Logan, you're an extrovert. You go and stand on a stage and talk to people. You enjoy talking to people. I loved COVID, because I'm an introvert. All you people laughing, you can relate. I love not being around people. It gives me anxiety just thinking about talking to somebody and you're telling me, Logan, that I gotta go, got go this far, or that beyond just this great greeting somebody, I need to know somebody's name, I need to invite people into my home, I need to, I need to step into community, I need to welcome all. I would say, if, as you think about how far we should go, because Jesus changes everything, Paul here says, open up as Jesus did for you. That's what he says. I love how he gives us the greatest example. As we think about how far we should go in welcoming one another, Paul gives us the highest, most beautiful, and profound example of our attitude of welcome. You can see this if you just look at verse 3 of chapter 15. He says this For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Many commentators say this is most likely an allusion to the cross. As we think about open arms welcoming one another, imagine the open arms of Jesus on a cross. Imagine the price that he pays of our sin on him. Imagine the level that he would go. And the gospel sings of this so beautifully and profoundly, it should fill us with wonder. It should do something in us that says, well, obviously I should welcome. I should go really far to welcome all. Commentator Douglas Moo, he wrote this. He says, as Chrysostom, that's what a great, Church Father says, he had power, Christ, not to have been reproached. If anyone had the power to, be re- to not be reproached, it would be Christ. He had power not to have suffered what he did suffer, had he been minded to look at his own things. At the same time, perhaps Paul may be trying to get the strong to put their own suffering in perspective. Occasionally abstaining from meat or wine or observing a special religious day or something that is a little uncomfortable for you should not seem like much of a burden in comparison with what Christ had to suffer for the sake of others. Seems to be as we think about it, as Christ has welcomed us, it should give us a perspective. Amen. And so we see this that we're called to open up as Jesus did for you, and then you would say, for what motive, and our teaching team, Pastor Doug alluded to that the motive of this welcome is important. If we're to be a church that says everybody's welcome, why? Do we do this because we wanna be known as like nice people? Do we do this because it kind of makes us look good? Do we do this because the world says that that is important? Or Paul here says, open up as Jesus did, why? For you to make Jesus famous. He says in this text, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. In the Westminster Catechism it says, what is the chief end of man? What is it? To enjoy God and glorify him forever. As you think about this, as we think about our motivation, as we ask ourselves this question, My prayer is that there's this winsomeness that we believe as we think about the fact that, okay, yes, Jesus has changed everything for me. I believe this. This is my confession. I'm going to follow him and welcome others because I believe he's done something in me. Because Christ has welcomed me, he has changed my perspective of how I treat others. I love in that poem that Matt did for us How as you start to read it, everything is negative, right? It's all about me, it's all about my desires, it's all about, well, I don't know, but then Jesus changed everything and he does something. There's a line I wanted to focus on. The first time through, he says this, I am my own and I am alone. And I refuse to believe that Jesus welcomes me home. Here's the truth, I belong to Jesus is old and tired, likes, follows, and you be you, that is the beat I walk to. Growing who sees us, my glory, is more important than growing in Jesus. But then, Jesus changes everything, amen? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And read this backwards. Growing in Jesus is more important than growing who sees us. This is the beat I walk to, likes, follows, and UBU is old and tired. I belong to Jesus. Here's the truth Jesus welcomes me home. I refuse to believe that I am my own and I am alone. Do you see? How when you live with Christ as king, I love here when Romans, when Paul's saying, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Christ there is the word for the Messiah. It's the word that we see throughout the scriptures that anticipates the one who will come, who will die for our sins, but also is resurrected and is reigning on the throne in our hearts, who is speaking into us who we believe, yes, he has changed everything for me and because of that, he changes the way I look at others. He changes the way that I view his family. I'm welcome. This is a reality for all who put their faith in Jesus. So my conviction is this, as we sing. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Because Jesus changes everything here at Cornerstone, we believe everyone is welcomed to Jesus. Everyone is welcomed to Jesus. That's the beat we walk to. Now, are we perfect in this? No. I'm sure all of us have stories of times when we've been a part of faith community and not felt welcomed. I'm sure all of us have been on one side of one another where we did not welcome. But yet, Jesus is changing something in us to have a mentality and a conviction that we will be a people of welcome. And I want you to understand this. There's a difference There's a difference between acceptance and approval. When I say that we're gonna be a people of of this radical welcome, that does not mean that we approve of lifestyles or ways of living that go contrary to the ways of King Jesus. Jesus is still the one reigning in in our hearts. But we believe that he changes everything. So all of us here are coming because we believe this to be a hospital for the hurting. We believe that Jesus does change everything. And so we can accept all who come here, all who are a part into our lives. And we believe with all of our hearts that the love of Christ compels us to have these open arms. And then to have conversations about what it means to let Christ reign in your heart. There's this book that one of our elders, Brad, had had us read called Love Like Jesus. In the book, the author writes about this call to the Christian to lead with the love of Christ. He talks about how Christ teaches us perfectly how he was full of grace and truth, grace this unconditional love gift to people, but truth, he said hard things. He writes this, he says, the people I know who love like Jesus build a foundation of grace and love first and share truth only when their love for the person they're sharing with is unmistakable. That's how Jesus loved people. He quotes 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of man and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Church, we must lead with the love and grace of Christ. Otherwise, all of our convictions of truth, all of our convictions become clanging symbols. People don't see the love of Christ. So the question, as we reflect on this, is what do we do with this? What do we do with this? With this? I would say, what does the text tell us? Open up, open wide your arms. We started having this practice here in our worship services called the Gospel Welcome. Every Sunday, if you've noticed, we oftentimes have somebody come up front before we do the worship service and we call it the Gospel Welcome. It's based upon this text. That we want and believe that we are called to be a church. That because Christ has welcomed us, we have open arms, and every time we come to worship together, every time we gather, we are united in this love for the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we are united that, that all have sinned, all have fallen short, and we come in that, and we receive his grace, and we cannot wait to celebrate that, and worship that, and declare that to all who are a part of this family. There's this challenge, I remember these interactions of of Jesus with this woman named Mary. I talked about Mary last week, her name was Mary Magdalene. You see, Jesus was hanging out with some Pharisees and some religious leaders, and they were having a meal together, and all of a sudden, in walks this woman named Mary. It says that she was a woman of the city. In other words, she was a prostitute, was. And she comes in and she's weeping. And with her tears, she is washing the feet of Jesus. And this is obviously making everybody in the room a little uncomfortable. And they're like, Jesus, don't you know that that woman is a sinner? This is a little bit much. And Jesus tells a story, a parable, I would encourage you to read this text on your own, but I would like to land where he has the therefore. He says, in light of this, he says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if some of our challenges with truly welcoming people, with truly having a heart to say that, uh, that we're gonna be a space, I'm gonna be a home, where I welcome people, is have I really thought about the depth and the evil and the darkness of my sin? Have I really thought about the fact that I have a savior and I am weeping at his feet, thanking him for what he has done, how he has changed everything, or have I fallen into a religious practice where I'm starting to earn and I'm starting to think, thank God I'm not, not like that person. This is the challenge of faith community. We are meant to be a people that join Mary, that join the the people of God in regularly just confessing and adoring our Savior, recognizing that we are constantly having Christ change us and work on our sin. And as we think about this challenge for you and me to open up, Recognize here, the Greek here is an imperative. When he says welcome one another, Paul is not saying, you know, if you're feeling really friendly, that's a good time to welcome somebody. You know, if if that person looks interesting, you should go and welcome that person. You know, maybe just encourage other people who are more, no, it's not a suggestion, it's an imperative. It's a command from King Jesus. Now, how we welcome one another, that's different. Some people are gifted with the gift of hospitality, and they love to open up their home, and they love to have people at the table, and they love to to get to know people. Some people, like even right now, they're already sweating thinking about that. And I think recognizing that as a body of Christ, we are meant to do this together. But we are called to be a place of welcome. We are called to be a place, when Jesus says to welcome one another, it's more than just a handshake on a Sunday morning. It's more than just a how are you. It is a life on life, sharing together in life bearing with one another in life. This is why we constantly push you to be in a group, constantly push you to know people and know their names and know their stories and pray together. If you're interested in learning more about this, I cannot recommend enough to you. There's a book by a lady named Rosario Butterfield called The Gospel Has a House Key. She wrote this book about hospitality. I believe it echoes of this passage we read And she wrote this, and I think this may be familiar to many of us, a familiar feeling. She says this, we remember the odd contradiction to be told on the Lord's Day, that's on Sundays, that you are part of the family of God, but then to limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging for bread. We know that chronic loneliness can kill people and destroy their hope and faith. And we believe that the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of water. Daily hospitality, gathering church and neighbors is a daily grace. Church, because Jesus changes everything, we must be a people that are opening wide our hearts to each other. I would encourage you to think about what that looks like for you. So what do we do with this? I would say open up. It starts with a willingness like Mary to say, I am a sinner in need of grace, would you join me in praising my Savior? Second, set the table. Set the table. Now, does that mean that I'm telling you go invite somebody over for dinner tonight? Actually, yes, I am. but I do think there's an intentionality to it. I do think it's a, Jesus, you've called me to have a welcoming heart as a part of your family, so who do I need to welcome? And I love the imagery of a table. It is is throughout the scriptures, this call to have a feast together. What is one of the most simple ways that Christ tells us to be reminded of our unity? Every month we have communion together. And there's something about breaking bread. You go to Acts 2, the early church that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread. There's something in this. This week in our reading plan, I would encourage you, if you haven't picked it up or joined the online reading plan yet, we have uh, this beautiful reading plan that talks about this and gets after this. One of the writers uh, of the devotions from our teaching team, Wes, said this. He says, we keep saying that Jesus changes everything. This was certainly true for a guy named Zacchaeus that you'll learn about, a tax collector, who went to great lengths to see Jesus. And that short time with Jesus completely changed his life. When we encounter Jesus, we are not simply called to add some of his wisdom to our lives, we are called to follow him completely. As you think about this call, this gospel call to welcome, I would encourage you, open up, set the table, but then don't miss this. Hear this. It's a challenging, hard word for you. Relax. Church, the gospel is meant to be a cup of cold water. It's meant to be something that you do out of the the, the kindness of the heart of Jesus. It's meant to be a people who understand that we have a savior who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's meant to be as Jesus is interacting with these two sisters named Mary and Martha. And Martha is hustling and bustling and trying to get the meal ready. And, 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 and Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus tells her something. He says, Martha, you could learn from Mary. You need to not forget that the the fuel of our welcoming spirit is Christ himself. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, Jesus is home. Jesus is home. That means a hundred things as you think about that. What does it mean to believe that Jesus is your home? That the gospel of Jesus Christ says Jesus is home. Think of a young child who's coming home, who has his daddy home, who has his savior home, who believes that Jesus is home in my heart. What does it mean for us as a church, as we think about the way that we love, that we care for everyone, to know that Jesus is our home? That he's active, that he is leading us. And so, as we open up our hearts wide, as we set the table, we relax and we rest in a Savior. As you think about this, I just want to tell you. This is what I see. I see a people in Chachilla, California who know that Jesus is home. I see a people who are messy. I see a people from different languages, different hurts, different backgrounds, even in this moment, who are hurting, who who, who have who have different perceptions, but all but understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and who are developing this fire to share life together. I see a people who because Christ has welcomed us, we have these open hearts, and people say, why would you do that? Why would you you accept that? Why would you live in community with those people who live in that way? And we say, because Christ has done so for us. We say, because we are a family united, and even though that person dresses funny or smells funny or talks funny or really gets on my nerves, I love them because Christ has welcomed me. Let's let that be the source and the fuel together. Let's let that be what what drives us together. And so church, as you think about these words, as you are challenged to say, because Jesus changes everything, everyone is welcomed to what? Our home, Jesus. As you think about those words, I wanted us to sing together to the one who we rest in, we're gonna sing a song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's a song about how Jesus is the one who holds. It's a song that is about, when we say Jesus changes everything, it's Jesus who does the changing. It's a song that says, for some of us, we are overwhelmed at hospitality, we are overwhelmed at loving and caring for others, but Jesus is not, so he will lead me, and I will continue to confess my faith in him. So I encourage you, as you walk out, ask yourself, Christ, first rest in him, and then ask him, who are you calling me to welcome? Would you pray with me? Lord? You have welcomed us. Lord, we do not understand often just how unreasonable it feels. Lord, I pray that that we would join Mary in having this heart to say, "I, I was a sinner in need of grace, and you did something. You changed me. You brought me out of the darkness of my sin and misery and into the light of your face, full and growing. Rested and glowing. I pray, Lord, that today that you would speak in to all who are here, that ev- I pray, God, that everyone who is here would know that we are trying our hardest to, ha- to be a people that open up our arms and our doors and our tables and our wallets and our, and our everything wide because you have opened your arms wide to us on a cross. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak into this space. We pray that this would continue to be a body that is a family that opens wide our hearts, sets the table, and relaxes at you. So we give you all the glory and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen.